Uh, good morning. It's just a great privilege to be here. Uh, I want to say just a brief introduction about who we are. Uh, some of you have seen us but don't actually know us. I just want to share a little bit about who we are. Uh, my name is Boyd, and my wife Jen and I have been with the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention for 21 years. Uh, we served in Romania first and then served in Czech Republic. We moved to Prague in 2009, and uh, primarily the majority of our work was with the Roma Gypsy people. Uh, we were able to see some amazing things take place with Roma. We were able to see lives changed. We were able to see groups started. We were able to see churches started. And then churches actually going on mission to new places. It, it was an exciting time to see and to be a part of. Uh, you may not know that we have four children. Uh, our oldest daughter is starting her second year in Baylor this year. And we have three that are with us. My son on the sound and on the uh, uh, Facebook back here is Miles, who will be a senior this year. We have a daughter, Madison, who will be in 10th grade. And then my uh, youngest son, Mason, is in 8th grade. And uh, so we're just privileged to be here. The, the current role that we have with our organization is that we help with research. Uh, that is, where is our organization working? Uh, what are we seeing happening? And how can we help others get to that same goal? And then the other thing that I do is to help first-term personnel. And that means people that have transitioned from the United States into another culture, and they are now serving in another place. And our job is to help them adjust to life, adjust to getting used to a new place of ministry, and to try to be able to help them. We help them with language study, with mentors, and with supervisors. We try to help see the bigger picture of what's going on in their life. We moved to Prague in 2009, and one of the roles that I currently have, excuse me, I mentioned about research, but many of you may not know that one, you may know me as someone from the Christian International School. Uh, one of the roles that I have and enjoy doing is being a part of the board of Christian International School of Prague. And I, I like being on the board because I'm able to see a bigger picture of what's taking place in a school. I'm able to see where it started, see where it currently is, and where a vision of where it might go for the future. And it's, it's exciting for me to be able to, to help a director see some things or help see a staff see some things that maybe they're not aware of or maybe that's in their blind spot of life or in the day-to-day -day of what they're living. And I began to think about that. Wouldn't it be nice if all of us had a board of directors? Wouldn't it be nice if each of us had someone who could see the bigger picture of our life, who could know where we had started, where we had come from, who could see where we are right now and could actually take us to where we would like to be? Well, the, in English, we get the word mentor from the ancient Greek, um, Greek epic by Homer from the Odyssey. And the idea of mentor in English, the word comes from the idea that Odysseus was away from home and he left his small child in the hands of someone named Mentor who would develop them, who would teach them what they needed to learn and what it would need to, to make it to the next step. It's interesting that most people think that uh, the Odyssey was written about 800 years before Christ. What's even more fascinating is the fact that the story we're going to look at today in the Bible takes place 200 years before that ever happened. The story that we have in 1 Kings takes place almost 900 years before Christ. And 1 Kings was written during a time when Israel, the kingdom of Israel, the children of Israel were already captive. They were already taken away and they were in captivity. And Jeremiah wrote this story to remind people what had gone wrong. They began to look back and say, well, things aren't happening the way we wanted to right now. What, what happened and what went wrong? They remembered the first king, Saul. They remember David, how things got better. They remembered Solomon. And now they were looking back, and Jeremiah focuses on this one story of 1 Kings chapter 12. Israel's glory was during Solomon. 
Solomon had extended the kingdom, he had built the temple, and he had also built many, many projects. But he had done this at the cost of forced labor. He'd done this at the cost of high taxation. And now the people are beginning to look back and they're wondering what went wrong. What happened in our lives? Last week when Ian began to speak about becoming the person that God wants you to be, he talked about having a vision, about having an intentionality, and about having a plan. And I think one part of that plan I want to look at this morning is the role of a mentor. I believe that there's someone who knows what you need to know to get where you want to be. And I think that many of you have something to give to someone else that can help them be the people that God wants them to be. Our story takes place in 1 Kings chapter 12. And we have a couple of characters in this story that I want to introduce you to or remind you of, of who they are. Rehoboam is the only son mentioned of Solomon. Solomon had more than a thousand wives and concubines, but Rehoboam is the only one mentioned. He's about 40, 41 years of age when this story takes place and begins to happen. And Jeroboam was the one who had been promised by a prophet that he would one day be a king over Israel. But Jeroboam has been responsible for forced labor, and now he begins to kind of create a conspiracy. He wants to become king earlier than God intended, and as he begins to create this idea, somebody finds out about it, and Jeroboam runs off to Egypt. He's thinking, I'm going to get away with at least my life, so I'm running away to Egypt. And that's where our story takes place. Solomon has just passed. He's just died. And that's where our story takes place. It says, Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all the Israelites had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nabot, heard this, he was still in Egypt. He had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. It's interesting what the people began to come to Solomon, to Rehoboam, to talk about. They don't say our our country is sliding away from its spiritual roots. They don't say that the worship of God is no longer primary. They begin to talk about things that are important to them. They begin to complain about the needs that are not being met. And what do they complain about? Well, one, they complain about their ease. They complain about their labor, about their comfort. And it's interesting, as a side note, you can find out what people find as most valuable as you begin to listen to what they complain about. You begin to listen to what is the biggest concern of people as they begin to say uh, to Rehoboam, uh, this life has been hard. They forget that the kingdom had extended, that there had been relative peace from all of their neighbors, from all of their enemies for many, many years. And they've neglected that already. They've already forgotten about what God had done in their life. And as we began to look at this story, we find in verse 5 that Rehoboam did two good things. And as we begin to look at Rehoboam's life and what happened, I want you to remember what happened in verse 5. Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. At critical times in our life, it's important that we at least have two things. One is space. And one's a little time. Rehoboam started on the right decision. He started walking the way that he should have walked at the beginning. He said, I need a little time. I'm not going to hurry something and make a quick decision. And I need a little space. I need a little time to distance myself from the situation around me. Maybe he had learned that from his father. Jesus said that Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. Maybe he learned that from his father, that he needed a little space and needed a little time. As we begin to look at people that can influence our life, it's important to remember when you're making a big decision 
that time is your friend and it's not your enemy. Rehoboam realized that. He realized that three days was not going to alter the course of history. And he realized he could push pause and take a break. At critical times, we need help making wise decisions. Rehoboam realized this. He realized, I'm 40 and I'm about to be the king, but I need a little help. And before we look much further at Rehoboam's life, I think it's important to realize, why do some of us never get to this point? Why do some of us never get to the point of pausing and taking some space and asking some questions? One, I think it's fear. We're not sure of what they'll say about us, what we feel about ourselves. Maybe it's insecurity. We're not exactly sure what to do, who to ask. Maybe it's we might seem needy. We might appear to need too much from other people. Maybe it's we're afraid they're going to reject us. If we ask for their advice, maybe they'll say something we don't want to hear. And so we clam up and we never ask anything. It's interesting to know now that in modern psychology, they say that uh, a definition of maturity is be willing to know what you don't know and to reach out for help. Rehoboam did that. He paused and he began to ask some people some important questions. It's a good place to start. If you're facing a big decision, it's important to realize that I need a little space. I need a little time to make a wise decision. I want to say from the beginning, not all decisions are of this paramount importance. But Rehoboam realized that this one was one of those decisions. This was a decision that would chart the course of his life, of his legacy as a king, and of his people as a nation. It was important that he got this one right. Our best decisions are always made in the needs of community. It's always better to make wise decisions when we're around others, when we're surrounded by people that care for us, that know what's best for us, that love us, and that want what's best. Jesus said this in Matthew 20, 26 to 28, when he was talking, asked about leadership. Jesus said, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. When we allow others to serve us, it pulls them to where God wants them to be. Jesus was talking about how do you become great in the kingdom of God. Ian mentioned that last week. What is a a part of the plan to become what God wants you to be? Well, Jesus said it wasn't that you lord over others. It wasn't that you say, I'm the boss and you're the follower, you're the subservient. Jesus said, if you want to be great, you begin to serve the needs of those around you. One, that means you have to be close enough to them. You have to know what their needs are. And then you allow God by his spirit to meet those needs. When we ask others to help us, we ask others to help us be what God wants us to be. We're giving that other individual an opportunity to be more of what God wants them to be. We're We're both cooperating in what God wants for us, us to grow in our faith and in our skills and in our service to him, but also in someone else's opportunity to reach out and to help someone else. What we do in a crisis determines our legacy and the future of those we love. For those of you who don't know the story, you may not know how important this decision was for Rehoboam. You may not know that it eventually would have drastic implications for his life. But the reality is each of us don't know the future. We don't know the decisions that we're making today or this week or the next month, how far-reaching they will have on our lives. We may think, well, I'm just deciding between this or that, and yet we may not be aware of what's happening. 
Rehoboam made some drastic decisions that caused the split up of a family, of a nation, and ultimately of a country. His, his decisions had significant impact, but we don't, we don't have that far-reaching. But isn't it encouraging that there's someone that does? There's someone who knows the importance of the decisions that you're making. And God has provided a way in His wisdom to help you get there. So let's see what happened. In verses uh, 6, Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served with his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, If today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. Who we listen to, associate with, and admire is determinative. We end up looking like those people. Rehoboam realized that there were some people that had served his father well. There were those that had counseled him and helped him to go the right direction. And these were the elders. A little bit of who these gentlemen are, who these people were. At the time of Moses, they were present for the giving of the law. By the time of Rehoboam, there would have been about 70 individuals. They would have been known for their wisdom, for their experience, for their closeness and proximity to God. And they would have helped the children of Israel stay on a course that would honor God. That was their primary responsibility. They were those who were capable of not only leading themselves, but of leading others. They were the ones that people had looked to for many, many years to guide them. And what is God's ultimate priority for us? It is to conform us into the image of our Son, to help us be more like His Son, Jesus, and to help us reflect more of who He is. And so these community of men are there, and Rehoboam begins to speak with them. And it's interesting that what they said, they, they knew what Rehoboam wanted. Rehoboam was at the beginning of his tenure to be the king. They knew that Rehoboam wanted to lead a united kingdom. That he probably looked back at David and Solomon and realized, I would like something like that too. I would like to lead a kingdom like that. I would like to be where they are. And these men who cared for him, who cared for the kingdom, the children of Israel... They said, they gave him the answer that he should do. And how did they respond? They said that if you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer. Now, some people have said, well, this, well, this would be nice that to be a great leader, you just have to give the people what they want. But what the elders were saying is to get what you would like to see accomplished, Rehoboam. You would like to look back 20 years from now and say, what a legacy that I had lived. What a legacy that our people had lived. This is the response that you need to give. There needs to be kindness. There needs to be wisdom. He might have reflected back on what his father said in Proverbs 13, 20. Keep company with the wise and you will become wise. If you make friends with foolish, stupid people, you will be ruined. It's hard to say when Solomon wrote that, but it definitely became true of Solomon. Solomon drifted far from what God intended. He started with wisdom, with humility... And yet he faded away and drifted into wives of foreign gods, into pleasure, and ultimately into destruction. The general, the, his son Rehoboam was actually a, one of the sons of a priestess of a foreign Amorite god. He had drifted so far from what God intended. It's frightening what he says, what uh, Jeremiah said in verse 8. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving with him. He asked them, what is your advice? 
How should we answer these people who say to me, Lighten the yoke your father put on us. The young men who had grown up with him replied, Tell these people who have said to you, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them, My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke, and I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, and I will scourge you with scorpions. It's frightening that when Rehoboam got the advice he needed, but not the advice he wanted, he turned to a different audience. He turned to a group of people that had grown up with him, that were his peers, that stood to benefit from him in the next phase of life. And he asked them, what do you think I ought to do? And they said that if you thought it was tough during Solomon, just hold on. Just hold on. It's about to get much, much more difficult. It said that, it, it said that um, uh, the phrase that uh, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Solomon was known more for his large girth, his, his large sense of matter, than he was more for his self-discipline. He liked self-indulgence more than he liked self-discipline. And as a result, the sons were making fun of that. The young men around him were making fun of that and saying, if you thought it was difficult back then, just wait until what's coming. They responded with selfishness, with tact, because these were the men that served to benefit from whatever Rehoboam did in the next phase. They served to gain and to profit from his decision. Foolish leaders often abuse those they are called to protect, and protection engenders allegiance. Sometimes they see others as stepping stones and obstacles to their own desires. Rehoboam's pride, his arrogance, and his taste of power blinded him to the needs of those around him. Now the question is, who did Rehoboam listen to? Who did he choose to listen to? And how do we pick a great mentor? Rehoboam was chosen by God to be in this role. He was chosen by his father Solomon to step into this role. And what are some of the good things that Rehoboam did? Well, one, he sought some advice. He took some time and he made a decision. Some of the bad things that he did was he listened to the wrong crowd. He listened to those that told him what he wanted to hear, but not where he needed to go and what he needed to do. There's no record in this first account that Rehoboam ever asked for a prophet, that he ever asked of God's wisdom, or that he ever took time to pray. It was simply omitted from this story. And he impugned the memory and rule of his father. He neglected all the things that his father had done, and he focused on those negative things. And it says that he picked, uh, it took the advice of the younger men. How do you pick a great mentor? I think a couple of things that we learn from this is that one, you pick someone who's a little bit older and a little bit in years. Then the word in Hebrew actually means zakan. It's someone who was referred to as someone who lived a little longer in life, who's seen a little more, who was a little bit more experienced, who's shown a bit of wisdom, someone who has a track record, a proven track record. These elders that had served Solomon... This was not their first big decision to make. This was not their first time to listen to an unusual circumstance. They had served Solomon. They had served other kings. They were wise. And it would be good for us to listen to people like that. And they were also leading someone besides themselves. You know, one developing thing in maturity is that you're first able to be responsible for who you are. 
and then you're able to be responsible for others, for sometimes for a family, and then you're able to be responsible for even greater opportunities. And I would like to say that verse 12 said that Jeroboam returned and said yes to the elders, and the nation remained intact. But the story of Scripture is not, not so true. It says, three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. So what does Rehoboam do? he decides that he's going to follow the advice of the younger people. He's going to follow the advice of those that are around him. And the reality is true that when we follow the advice of what we want to hear instead of what we need to hear, we end up being in a place that we didn't want to be. We end up, if we listen to what we want to hear instead of what we need to hear, we end up being in a place that we didn't want to end up. And, and it's important to realize that Sometimes in our pride and in our arrogance, God allows us to, to follow the course of those actions. God allows us to, to make choices. We have freedom to choose to say yes to God. God woos us by His Spirit. He puts the right people around us. He puts us in the right circumstances and the right situations to trust Him and to look to Him. But God, as a loving Father, gives us the opportunity to make our own choices. It's a complex thing that we don't fully understand about how he draws us and about how we respond. But there's the reality here that we're ultimately responsible. Maybe at this point you're thinking, there's some decisions where I chose the wrong advice. I listened to the wrong people. And maybe you're here coming back to God today wondering, is there any hope? Is there any hope for the mess I've made, for the people I've listened to? Does God still care? I think it's encouraging that in verse, verse 15, it said, For this turn of events was from the Lord, to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nabat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. In the, in the wonderful plan of God, no mess, no decision that you make puts you outside of God's providence, design, love, care, and compassion. God is a redemptive God who wants to bring you back and to draw you back. Even in this situation where Rehoboam chose the wrong, he listened to the wrong people. He made the wrong decision. There, there, Jeremiah and others would report this as the turning point for when Israel began to slide and drift away. But God had a plan. God had a purpose. Wherever you are today, if you're drifting back or if you're following closely to God, God's hand is integrally involved in your life. He, you have not slipped beyond his plan, beyond his providence, by any decision, by any one wise choice you have made. God was right in the middle of that. It says in verse uh, 16, when all Israel heard that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, what share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, O Israel, look after your own house, O David. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. They say, well, if that's your answer, every man for himself. We're, we're done with this, this experiment of a united kingdom of 12 tribes coming together. We're finished. 
You can come up with your own plans because we're not going to stay around. And so what does Rehoboam do? Does he learn? Does he learn that the first decision didn't work by listening to the wrong people? No, in the second situation of what happens, Rehoboam doesn't listen to anyone. There's no record that he talked to anybody about what to do next. So in his desire to bring the kingdom back together, he sends Adoniram out to try to restore the situation. Adoniram had been responsible for masonry, for the stone cutting. Well, the people get a great idea. Why don't we just pick up one of those stones that he made us cut, and they stone him. Verse 18 says that they stoned him to death. And Rehoboam realizes things are not going well, and I'm going to have to escape just to make it out with my life. And he makes it back to Jerusalem. We're often not aware of the importance of certain decisions. Rehoboam tried to make concessions, but it was too late. This is the beginning of the revolt of the ten tribes, and it established Jeroboam as the king. It split the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom was Judah, his own family, and Benjamin, and it made Jerusalem the capital. And that was the king of Rehoboam. And the northern kingdom became what we know as Israel. And that is where Jeroboam ruled as the king. This decision right here affected all of Israel's history. It affected everything that would happen going forward because Rehoboam listened to the wrong people. And then he didn't listen to anyone. And he went even further and made a mess even bigger and even messier. It was too late. It, it was too late because of the decision that he had made had affected many, many others. It says in verse 19, I think this is the, the reason why Jeremiah included this verse. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. They, it says, when the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent him and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. Only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David. Now, when, when Rehoboam makes it back, he's nervous about his life. He's nervous about his kingdom. He's worried about what his future legacy might be. And he begins to think, what am I supposed to do about this? And then finally, the third time, verse 24 says, This is what the Lord says. Do not go up and fight against your brothers, the Israelites. Go home, every one of you, for this is my doing. So they obeyed the word of the Lord and went home again, as the Lord had ordered. Finally... Rehoboam gets it. He begins, and it's not that he sought out a prophet. It's not that he sought someone to help him, but that God provided someone to him that might actually prevent some loss. It helped avoid further loss of life. It helped avoid a rebellion and suffering. Can you only imagine what might have happened if Rehoboam the first time had listened to the wise men? If Rehoboam had listened to the elders instead of to those that were around him, what might have happened in his life? There, there was someone, something he needed to know, and there was someone who was there with the right information, and yet he didn't even choose to listen to them. And the second time, he didn't even choose to listen at all. But the third time, it actually preserved his life and the life of his kingdom for a short time. It's interesting as you will read through the rest of Rehoboam's life, there is no great success that he accomplished in his life after this point. There's no kingdom, there's no castle, there's no 
significant work that he did, his life pretty much just drifts off into the annals of history. Had he listened, imagine what his legacy could have been. For those of you that have been walking with the Lord, that have experience, that have wisdom, you have something to give to others. You have a a history with the Lord, you have a legacy of his faithfulness, and you have something to offer those that are coming behind you. It may be in a certain area, it may not be all that they need to know, but you have something to give to others. And for the rest of us, it would be wise for us to know that we don't know all that there is yet to know, and that God has provided those around us to be able to help us. We have most clearly the example of Christ. Paul, when he wrote about his, uh, his legacy, about who he was and what he was doing, he said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And these things which you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. Many of you here serve in a missionary capacity in Prague. The greatest missionary that ever was had someone that had gone ahead of him, a Barnabas, to prepare the way. And he had a Timothy, someone who was coming behind that he could develop and invest his life in. As we think about this, imagine what might happen if those of us that had a level of experience, had a level of walk with the Lord, not only enjoyed that relationship, but began to turn around and offer that to others. What if we might be the zakan to someone? We might be someone a little further along that we might be able to help them. And what if each of us, in a point of critical decision, might reach out to someone else? We might first reach out to God through His Word, through prayer, through faithful study of His Scriptures, and we might be able to know what He's asking of us. As, as we think about this today, I, I encourage you, who are you listening to for advice about life's choices? Who are your elders? If you realize that this week, this month, this quarter, I, I have to make a big decision. Who are people that you could go to, talk to, and they would advise you in a way that would honor you, that would honor God's kingdom, and would extend His grace and mercy around? The second question is, who are you helping make good choices for those that are coming behind you? For those of you that have been walking with the Lord, who are you helping with? Who is the who that God has given you? Put yourself in the place of the elder and think of who am I investing in for those that are coming behind me? And how are you listening for God's voice? Do you need to take some space? Do you need some time? Do you need to hear from God in a special way? I encourage you to trust Him and to place your importance in His work and in His kingdom. Not all decisions are of this paramount importance, but those that are, I pray that you would have wisdom and leaning and trusting in God and asking others for those that want to, want to help you get where you need to be. I want to make just a brief uh, an announcement about a group, a very practical way that our church believes that this is important, and that's for the Prague Newcomers Group. And the Prague Newcomers Group is an opportunity that, Angel, I'd like to ask you to come forward and give just a brief introduction about this ministry. So those that are moving to Prague, that this is your... You're going to be here for an extended amount of time. And others that have been in Prague that care and want you to have a good transition, I would like for you to um, connect with this group. So, Angel, you give just a brief introduction of that group, and then I'll close this in prayer. Hey, guys. Good morning. Can you all hear me? Um, God calls us to be a part of a community wherever we are in the world, right, to be a part of his community. 
And the newcomers group is a really great example of a functioning community of mentors here in Prague. So I'm a good example of somebody who came here uh, two years ago. I was pregnant when we got here. I had a baby three months later, and then we were in the hospital for a while. And I had a lot of help from Sherry, who at the time was running the newcomers group. This year will be the fourth year that the group has been going on. Two years under Sherry's leadership and two years under mine after kind of having this group set, happened in my lap. Um, what we do is we meet once a week. Usually it's three times a month or so. And we talk about adjusting to life in Prague. And what that means is we use scripture to guide us in trying to see how God wants to help us understand Prague culture and the language and kind of work through what it means to adjust to living here. Uh, we are women of all ages, of all backgrounds. Last year we had people from the Netherlands and from Brazil, and we've had people from African countries in the past. Um, we just get together and we talk, and we talk about the joys and challenges associated with adjusting to life in the Czech Republic. Um, if you're interested in the group, you can send me an email, and we can talk about this coming season. It'll start in maybe two weeks or so, two or three weeks. Um, we'll probably meet on Wednesday mornings this season. Last year it was Thursday, but I think Wednesday's where everybody's converging. We have about somewhere between five and 15 women each week, depending on who comes. Most of us have children, but not all. Um, it's also, um, we have people who have come in the past who are not Christians, who just wanted to learn about Christ, as well as people who are active practicing Christians. So any women are welcome, any ages, any backgrounds. We just want to help each other kind of talk through the joys and challenges of moving to Prague. So my, na my name and my email are in the bulletin under newcomers group. So if you have any questions, you can ask me after church while you see me fending off my kids. Um, making sure they're not running in the aisles, <laughs> and or just send me an email. I can give you some more information. Welcome. Thank you. Let's close prayer. Father, we thank you that uh, Jeremiah saw fit in the, the book of 1 Kings to include this story of Rehoboam. Father, we admit many times we're like a king. We, we want to do what we want to do, and we don't often listen to the right advice. Father, we pray that you would give us your grace to, to pause and to stop and to, to realize we need help, to realize that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives and you have a way for us to get there, and that's by, by others, by, by leaders, by elders, by mentors, people that can speak into our lives what we need to hear to get where you want us to be. Father, we pray for individuals this week or this month that will make big decisions. We pray that first they would seek you they would seek your word, and that they would seek the wisdom and counsel of others who have walked with you for many years. Father, we pray for each of us that it, you would give us an opportunity to invest in the life of someone else, that we might share of what we know, that others may know you deeply and may walk with you closely. Father, we thank you for the great honor and privilege it is to be your children. And we thank you that long before need comes into our life, you have a plan and a way for us to move forward and to show your mercy and to show your grace. We thank you that you protected and provided, even through this disastrous decision that Rehoboam made, to provide a way for your king, Jesus, to come through that line of Judah. And Father, we thank you that we can trust in your grace and promise that you might lead us to a place where your glory is extended, your fame is made known, and our lives are for the better. Father, we pray that we might trust you and give you our very best today. Help us to seek those that want to extend your kingdom and help us to be those that are helping others find you too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.